Hi, this is Phil Clemmer, and you're watching the TV Writer Podcast. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web. And by Final Draft Script Writing Software, the entertainment industry standard for script writing worldwide. My name is Gray Jones, and I want to welcome you to the TV Writer Podcast, partner of Script Magazine, episode 40 for Friday, November 4th, 2011. Well, today I'm so excited to bring you an interview with someone that I actually met in, in Los Angeles back in 2009 and no stranger to Chuck fans, and that is Phil Clemmer. He's been with Chuck since season one and, uh, and is a great, great writer. He used to write on Veronica Mars. He wrote for all four seasons with Rob Thomas, uh, who was on the podcast just a few episodes ago, and, uh, and then he went on to Chuck and... Um, I actually had a pretty great interview with him back in season two. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to, uh, like I did with a couple of the other Chuck writers, I'm going to replay that interview now. Um, I guarantee that it'll seem fresh to you, even if you heard it back in season two. It's a great look back at what Chuck was like back in season two and with the attitude in the room and, and also a great time visiting with Phil. And then after that interview, I'm going to play a new interview that I just had with Phil where he talks about everything from in season three when he left Chuck to go on to NBC's Undercovers. That show ended up being canceled and he went back to Chuck for to the rest of season four. And then now he's on Chuck in season five. From their perspective, it's almost done. For us, it's just beginning. Friday nights, I do urge you to watch Chuck at 8 p.m. 7 Central on NBC. Um, but it was great to check in with Phil and hear what he has to say about what's going on on Chuck. Um, I do want to mention a really, really important and very encouraging announcement, and that's that uh, I'm not going to have to ask for money anymore. I know I've been asking a lot for donations and, and that kind of thing, but uh, in the last few weeks, I've been really, really fortunate to land a number of sponsorship deals. And so it's going to be a little bit of a trade-off. I won't have to ask for money anymore, but you're going to see more ads inside the podcast. But I hope you understand that that, uh, that helps me bring the podcast to you. And, uh, and so just like television, when you see the ads, it helps us actually helps the shows pay for the shows so that we can enjoy them. So um, you will see some ads. And also a really, really cool thing is just like um, when I spoke with Ari Posner a few episodes ago, he shared a lot about how it's uh, you're, you're often setting yourself up for failure if you try to write a pilot um, as, your, as your sample when you don't have a lot of writing experience. Um, the, the prevailing wisdom right now is that you need to have pilots rather than spec scripts when you go to get writing work in Hollywood. But that's not necessarily true. According to Ari Posner, according to uh, Rob Thomas, who was on the podcast uh, a few episodes ago, um, it's just as viable to actually have any kind of original material, including a showcase film, including um, a webisode, including an independent film, uh, feature film, uh, including a play or, or other different types of original work. Um, people will look at them just as much as they might look at a, at a spec pilot. And some of them might actually be easier for you to do uh, than a pilot. So what I'm going to be doing is just bec because I have a lot of experience in, in the industry and with different kinds of equipment is introducing a video tips section and a gear guide on the podcast where I'm going to introduce concepts uh, related to production and editing of uh, of your own work. And hopefully, just like uh, when I was speaking to um, Eric Haywood, he was mentioning that getting to know the different techniques helped him to be able to write and helped him to be able to direct. And, uh, and so, uh, I hope this is helpful to you. Um, you may not have had the chance to go to film school. Well, let me help you understand about all of these things. So that will take place in between the introduction and the interview. And we're going to have our first one right now. Okay, so for this demo, you'll notice I've changed into a more colorful shirt. And also I've got some of my son's artwork in behind me. And uh, the reason is I'm demonstrating some software that really helps to change the color 
in the videos that you do. Okay, so you've got a great idea for a short film or web series. You splurge. You buy a DSLR with dreams of being able to do a masterpiece on a shoestring budget. You wrote the script. You got volunteer actors and crew. You even get the thing shot. And today, almost everybody knows how to edit. So what's next? Well, take Ku, who was on the podcast a few episodes ago. He had a webby winning series, The West Side. The thing looks like a Hollywood movie. And so it's not surprising that it, that it got accolades and, and great critical reviews and awards. Odds are that there's a lot of the process that you could do yourself, but probably you don't have experience color grading and you probably don't know anybody else who does and can do it for free. You probably can't afford the hundreds of dollars per day to outsource to a professional. So what can you do? Well, enter Red Giant's Magic Bullet Suite. With Magic Bullet Looks, you can dial in any of over a 100 preset looks that they've set up to match almost all of the popular looks in television and film that you'll find. There's even a theater that'll play your footage with one look after another after another. It plays for about five seconds, so you can see what it'll look like, then it'll automatically go to the next one, automatically go to the next one until you find the right look for your for your footage. If you um, want a grainy look, you can get it. Gritty, soft and dreamy, that orange kind of apocalyptic look, that popular greenish undersaturation that still doesn't affect the skin tones, all of that with a click of a button. And you may notice even a webcam like this can betray uneven skin color, splotches and pimples and, and things like that, your sunburn. Um, watch my face as I apply a simple one-click filter called Cosmo. Before and after. This is pretty incredible stuff. And even when you're video podcasting or you're shooting a, a family documentary or maybe you're producing the next Webby winning hit that goes viral on the internet, there's something in the Magic Bullet toolkit that is going to elevate your material visually. They don't call it Magic Bullet for nothing. I'm going to play a one minute video right now illustrating the full Magic Bullet suite in action. Stay tuned at the end of the podcast as well, because at the end of the podcast, I'm going to show a video that highlights all of Red Giant's selection of effects in action. You're going to find that there's something there that's going to help your material. But for right now, on to my interview with Chuck writer Phil Klemmer, back in season two of Chuck. Enjoy. This is Gray with Chuck versus the Podcast, and I'm here with Phil Klemmer, one of the writers from Chuck and also of Veronica Mars. Uh, how are you doing, Phil? I'm good, thanks. So uh, you have been very busy the last few weeks. Yeah, we're shooting episode 19, and we just finished breaking 22 in the uh, in the room last night. Wow. So that's season two for you. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, we just broke for lunch, and we were rehearsing a, a Chevy Chase Scott Bakula standoff scene. Wow. So, you know, you don't want to rush something like that. you got to savor every moment. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's pretty amazing. We just heard this week that they had been cast, and uh, yeah, that must be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. 
it's a little like awe-inspiring. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I was a big Quantum Leap fan myself. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just to be working with Fletch is like uh, <laughs> it's like the sum of my adolescent dreams come true. Yeah, uh, minus uh, Kelly LeBrock. Well, we're going to go way back, and then we'll get back to Chuck in the end. Okay. Of course, it's always really interesting to people to hear about how people got started and even what led to them having their roles. And, and so you grew up in North Carolina? I grew up in Virginia, in the Shenandoah Valley. So I was born in Chapel Hill, and my parents moved back there. But um, yeah, I spent most, most of my years in, uh, in Virginia. Mm-hmm. And, and yet you went to Stanford. What, what made you pick Stanford? I was really looking uh, to get pretty far away, and that was sort of uh, the best I could come up with. But I was, I was really into the idea of going to California, and, and uh, I still am, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and you were a classics major, but what, what did you want to do at that time? I think I was looking to be uh, uh, some sort of professor. I, uh, I spent a semester in, in Rome, and then I chickened out when I realized how much additional schooling it would require for, for that to happen, mm-hmm. and how smart I would have to be, and I didn't really see it happening. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I sort of just came down to Hollywood with a, a couple friends of mine, and we all just sort of bumbled around and tried to find jobs. The guy I came down here with actually wrote Iron Man last year. Oh, you're kidding. So I'm by far the, the least successful <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't say you've done too badly. Now, you you got a job at Propaganda Films. Uh-huh, yeah. That was the sort of hot place to be in the, the early to mid-90s. There were just a bunch of really cool commercial and music video directors working there, like Spike Jones and Mark Romanek and Michel Gondry and all these people who subsequently went on to crazy film fame. But yeah, that was my first job working in a... a story department and reading feature screenplays and, and doing, you know, summaries and critiques. He must have read a lot of scripts in that time. I didn't log it exactly, but some of my friends got up into like two, 3,000 range. I, I don't think I cracked 1,000. Wow. You definitely, you become a bit like barbaric about other people's writing just because you have to after you've read a certain number. And I think I stopped myself before I got there just knowing that I'd never be able to sort of write my own stuff if, if I had gotten my critical skills too sharp Mm -hmm. because you know you you have to be able to dismiss something as quickly as possible since you're being paid by the script so you become very very uh just attuned to finding what's wrong with things Mm -hmm. and it's it's a great chance to read an incredible amount of material but just the numbers you, you can only buy so many things and you're reading however many dozens or hundred screenplays a week as a story department so Mm -hmm. The numbers just say that you you have to say no to 99% of everything, and, wow. and maybe that's fair, but uh, still, you're taking people's dreams and stomping on them. So, wow. I, yeah. So, and, and you ended up actually doing some work with Michel Gondry. Yeah, I, I guess I worked for him for about three years. I've worked sort of between his most notable music videos and before his notable films. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's a result of um, him working with me, but <laughs> he basically, anything that people know him for, uh, I wasn't with him at the time. Okay. Um, <laughs> so we did, a, actually we did a Chemical Brothers video that uh, I have a, a brief cameo in, and uh, we did a Charlie Kaufman movie, Human Nature, which unfortunately didn't make much of a splash, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, those were my years with Michelle. I, after Michelle, I sort of moved into ghostwriting for directors and doing commercial and music video treatments, which are sort of the things that directors use to sell themselves to either ad agencies or you know music labels. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I supported myself before I you know got my first TV gig. And so it was around that time that you landed your first TV gig on yeah. on Veronica Mars. Can you tell the story about how you got that gig? Yeah, um, well, I had sort of known Rob Thomas as a fr- friend of a friend and then a friend um, based on his crazy Halloween parties, and mm-hmm. I had slipped him a feature that I had, had written. It was sort of a young adult coming-of-age story, and he had a, a show on ESPN do- that he was doing called Playmakers, mm-hmm. and he read it, and I guess he liked it okay, but then he told me that it was completely inappropriate for a NFL 
sports show. Mm-hmm. And then a year or two later, I, I saw him at an Oscar party. And, um, you know, he told me about he had a teen noir show that was set up at UPN. And he asked me if I'd ever written television. And I said no. And he basically gave me two weeks to get a, uh, a spec episode together. And my wife was pregnant at the time. So I had plenty of motivation. So I think I did a, a six feet under. And I think he went on a on a honeymoon or a, he went away with his girlfriend and I guess took it with him and, and I got a email from him like in Turkey saying like, oh, I really like it and I'll show it to Warner Brothers and I can't promise you anything and, you know, he got me a job, which is, you know. Wow, awesome. Pretty incredible, yeah. And and you were there for all three seasons. I was, yeah. I was, what's that, 65 episodes. Wow. Great show, by the way. Oh, thanks. Yeah, you were. Uh, had shared with you in, in an email. I, I I thought I'd watch a couple episodes to prepare for this interview and I'm already on season three. Oh, man, you probably, like, remember it better than I do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, really, really good show. I like liked it a lot. Oh, thank you. And uh, I, I love that uh, episode at the end of season two, the graduation, where you hear all the writers' names. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, God, I forgot about all... Yeah, I basically put the name of every friend I ever had in Virginia. Like, if you... I basically, you know, got all my high school friends out somewhere in the season. Mm-hmm. It was a very unique show. You've got noir set in, in high school with yeah. mystery, intrigue, drama, and comedy with yeah. with a very delicate tonal balance. Yeah, it, it sounded like a disaster when it was, like, pitched to me. I was like, what? Is, what, what is this? What are you even talking about? Yeah. And then, you know, you read the pilot and completely understand it. Yeah. And it, what were your favorite aspects of that show to write? Well, I guess I sort of like the way that it was it was divided up into like a mystery of the week and then uh, you know having the Lily Kane murder say in season one I really liked having this sort of sea story runner that um, was always going in the background Mm -hmm. I I just think it opened up the world and sort of I don't know just the few pages that you devoted to it lent such a depth to you know a stories of the week could sometimes be rather light but it it um it sort of gave it that noir like substance and, and creepiness mm-hmm. yeah I, I i guess i really like that you know it also there were some really fun characters i mean there was the dick casablanca's character who i think he's basically like a stand-in in the in the pilot yeah. and by the third season he was in in the opening titles and you had time to sort of discover these characters and and give them a line and give them a couple lines and give them a storyline and you know he, it was just so fun having you know a character like Dick, who's sort of all the worst parts of our collective uh, personality as a as a writing uh, staff, yeah. and just being able to sort of just cut loose on a guy who's so um, abhorrent and and lovable. Yeah, you got a little bit of that going on in Chuck as well. <laughs> yeah, we do, we do. I mean, when I read the Chuck pilot, the Morgan Chuck relationship totally appealed to me. You know, you you have to read through this stack of of 50 pilots when you're looking for a tv gig and when you're on a cw show that is getting veronica mars numbers you unfortunately have to do that every season Mm -hmm. you know the second i read chuck you know the the relationship between chuck and morgan you know is so juvenile and codependent and 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 funny and sort of it's something that i completely recognize and i just something that i hadn't really seen on television mm-hmm. it drew me in and i mean chuck was you know my favorite of that stack of 50 pilots and you know so glad that i get to write for it yeah tell me how you ended up going from veronica mars to chuck because because veronica mars you still hadn't even heard whether it was canceled or not it really went out with a fizzle i think it was it wasn't even till the upfronts that even then i think it was they were being very cagey about it coming back or not mm-hmm. and so i you know i'd got gotten an offer from chuck which is you know such a, a huge relief but I, th- I think at the time i had to put some little clause in that if you know veronica mars came back that i would go with it just because they're both warner brothers shows mm-hmm. but um i was incredibly fortunate you you look around television and you talk about the shows you would really enjoy writing on and and unfortunately there's not that many of them on on network and mm. to be able to go from a show like that to this is is just so lucky oh yeah well i mean it's not a copy of a copy of a copy <laughs> yeah and interestingly enough you wouldn't think so but it's got a lot of similarities with veronica mars you've got yeah a very unique show that's got some mystery got drama yeah. it's got comedy 
uh-huh. brought more action for sure. Yeah. Then you've got these A, B, and C storylines mm-hmm. in Chuck. You've you've got the main story, then you've got the buy more story. You've got the overarching yeah story that goes across the whole season. Yeah. Would you say that a lot of your experience from Ver- Veronica Mars translates to Chuck? I'm certainly writing just my sort of base impulses as a writer. I don't I don't have to like force them anyway with Chuck. In a in a way, I think it's probably much closer than Veronica Mars was. I mean, for whatever reason, Rob Thomas, like the young adult and the female protagonist, it's just like, it is his voice, like mm-hmm. inside inside and out. And yeah, I don't know. Chuck is a much more difficult show from a production standpoint, just because trying to marry action and comedy is the two most sort of time-consuming genres that you could ever think of producing. Mm-hmm. And to try to do both well and marry them with some sort of tonal harmony is just from a production standpoint it's incredibly difficult from like a writing standpoint it's just like i couldn't be happier Mm -hmm. thankfully we have a a great studio and our crew is incredible and you know i mean there's a reason that i can't even think of action comedies you know i mean you'd have to go back to a team or something to to find a network show that kind of fits our mold i don't even know Mm -hmm what the closest thing would be and you know there's a reason it's just really difficult and it it requires people like Zach and a lot of time and incredible amount of talent to like pull it off yeah I love Terminator Seracano Chronicles yeah I love Battlestar Galactica yeah me too I love Heroes but I find when I'm watching those shows that I miss the comedy yeah I imagine as a writer you must miss it as well yeah I mean yeah I can't I can't imagine doing one without the other yeah and I think we're probably a little more children of the 80s (laughs) Exactly. Where we had our Lethal Weapon and Die Hard and all these Arnold Schwarzenegger movies where the comedy was just a part of it. Yeah. So tell me, Chuck has a much bigger budget. Uh How does that affect your writing decisions? Uh, I don't know if I'd say much bigger. It's like Notorious B.I.G. said, it's it's more money, more problems. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, it seems like more money, but, you know, it certainly gets spent quickly doing the things we do week in and week out and it it certainly doesn't seem decadent we still have to come up with a lot of compromise and creative solutions and and i mean that's really a credit to the people who on our crew who build the show mm-hmm. i mean to me it looks much more expensive than it is mm-hmm. you know we have a fantastic dp and you know we've learned how to like produce the show within our means i mean i think we were probably killing people in the beginning mm. before you figure out wh- what you can do and what you can do well. And yeah, I mean, it's also nice. You know, Veronica Mars shot out of town. It's just, it's so much different being on the same lot where your, your show is produced. Probably a lot more work for you. Yeah. I mean, we were sort of in this little bubble up in North Hollywood and we'd get phone calls and dailies, but we wouldn't have to deal with the sort of repercussions of what we put on the page. But, you know, now we're a quarter mile away from our stages. But um, it's nice knowing that you can go down there and see it being made. Mm-hmm. You're also taking more of a producing role on this show. Yeah, I mean, that's just, you know, the sort of hierarchy of writing titles. At a certain point, you get called a producer, whether you produce or not. But certainly the producers on on Chuck can claim their title. And especially when it's your episode, you know, you get to be involved in all aspects of production, you know, from casting to concept meetings to, you know, being on set and collaborating with the director. And and that's great. That's something that we didn't get to do on Veronica Mars just because of the being out of town. Yeah. So tell me, who is your favorite character to write for on Chuck? Um, favorite character. I mean, clearly writing for Chuck. It's you know, like I said, it's it's a protagonist who's much closer to my sort of baseline personality than Veronica Mars ever was. Mm-hmm. Uh, having a a geeky hero who gets to sort of live his dreams is like it's sort of my dream. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, doing Chuck versus Tom Sawyer, our our fifth episode this season, and getting to take Jeff, who you know, it was kind of the one of the buy more guys who's more in the background and getting to elevate him to the star of the episode. It was, I mean, that was pretty awesome. Yeah. Because he was a guy that always sort of did well with the few lines that we gave him, but just allowing Scott to sort of step into the limelight and seeing what a great job he did, that, that was pretty amazing. Yeah. Would that be your favorite episode you've written so far, or do you have other favorite episodes or scenes that you've done? I got to pick the episode I'm working on now. I mean, I got to assume that's going to be the best, um, even mm-hmm. though we're just just a few days into it. But yeah, I guess I don't really look back on it that much. Yeah. 
How does it feel to watch them when they air? I think the very first Veronica Mars, it really freaked me out because, you know, when you when you see a cut, you're seeing you're not seeing anything close to the the 41 minutes and however many seconds that airs. You're seeing mm-hmm. a, just a rough assembly without any of the sort of tweaking and audio and effects and you know, and so like the first Veronica Mars I ever saw, I was just like, oh my god, this is a disaster. And so you you sort of learn to condition yourself to what you should should expect at, at various stages. But mm-hmm. seeing something that's aired, you know, I'd actually I'd really like to go back and and watch something that hasn't aired for a number of seasons because if it's too fresh in your mind, you're just sort of looking for what you missed mm-hmm. and. You know, I think at this point I've forgotten what we missed with Veronica Mars and could probably wholly enjoy it someday soon. I hope to be able to do that with Chuck, and obviously I hope Chuck goes for five seasons. And I really feel like the show is just, it's getting better and better. And I really feel that the strike was, I mean, not a good thing for anybody. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, as a writing staff, we really used the time wisely to take a step back and to figure out how we wanted to, to relaunch the show. Yeah. You're a fan of it. <laughs> I hope you agree. But uh, from a writing standpoint, I would think that the yeah. that the strike would be a good thing because you'd you'd have a chance to actually see all of the first season to fruition. Yeah, you just figured out what you're going to do in the in the finale episode, and episode twelve hasn't even aired this season. <laughs> yeah, so you you can't even really gauge fan reaction until a half a season later. Yeah, you're a little subjective from the inside, but I would say that I don't know many other shows that have had such a strong second season after a strong first season. Like just from a viewer's standpoint, I would say every single episode is is strong, and all indications are that it's going to just keep on going that way. So yeah, I really, I mean, it, I have no choice but to be a cheerleader. But even if I didn't, like, I really think that the the second half of the season even continues. To to go up and you know i think that's a, a credit to the people i work with mm-hmm. and the ratings are creeping up <laughs> compared to everyone else they might be mm-hmm. uh, you know i don't think anybody's fully recovered from from the strike yeah but you know i really think that there's we have more audience out there they're just waiting to discover the show yeah we have this big 3d episode that comes after the super bowl and you know we're all hoping that that's going to be a chance for a lot of new viewers to come to the show well, I do think that there's a lot of people who watch outside of the Nielsen system. Yeah. And particularly for, for Chuck. I, I mean, mm-hmm. Chuck isn't the biggest show in terms of Nielsen ratings, but our podcast is actually the number one TV show podcast. Oh, man, don't say that. That makes me nervous. There's too many people listening. <laughs> I'd actually just gotten my head around to that this was just a conversation. But now I got stage fright. I think that's an indication of, <laughs> of the target audience. I mean, the target audience is, yeah. is plugged in. They're, they're the kind of people who would watch differently than the way that Nielsen measures. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I made a, a Zune joke in an episode, and I, you know, I don't think you could make a Zune joke and have it be received by an audience who uh, wasn't a little bit geeky. Yeah. And I, I do apologize for the Zune joke because Microsoft is a fantastic sponsor, and we should call this a Zune cast, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, back back to the story. It was said in a previous interview that you uh, are a logician who is very good at continuity. Uh, I don't. I don't know who said that. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the quote somewhere, but um, that that was obviously some, uh, something that you uh, needed very much on Veronica Mars. But mm-hmm. are you involved with the longer plot arcs of Chuck, or, or is this really Josh and Chris's domain? You know, I think everybody in the writing staff is. You know, I think in the very beginning, Josh and Chris asked me how we approach the sort of mythological, you know, murder mystery of Lily Kane in, in season one. But w- one of the great things about coming to work so early, you know, we started in March of this year, is that, you know, we didn't have to dive in with episode 201. We were able to take, you know, a couple weeks to just figure out in broad strokes where we wanted to go with the season. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it's just amazing once you map things out, you know, how much quicker it comes when you just have some sort of even a thumbnail structure for the series. You know, as we're all hoping to come back for season season three, I think that's something that we'll do again mm-hmm. because it, you know it makes the individual episodes so much easier to break if you just you know where you're going in a sort of global sense mm-hmm. 
So, I mean, it's a bigger writing staff for sure. Uh-huh. And looking at at least at IMDb, uh-huh. people have come from a whole wide range of, of shows. I mean, you've got yeah. Scott Rosenbaum coming from The Shield. You've got uh-huh. Ali Adler with, with a lot more comedy shows. Um, you're coming from Veronica Mars. Yeah. Um, would you say that that makes you come into the room with specialties, or or is one person a go-to person for comedy, another person a go-to person for action, or or are you all kind of just a melting pot? I don't know. As a viewer, does it seem like a consistent show, or do, I mean, does because I mean, it seems like just by the sort of nature of the show, it's sort of like a pop amalgam, mm-hmm. and and so it it really does lend itself. Like, there's just any number of ways you can you can sort of choose your own genre for an episode, and I, I you know I think as a disparate writing staff, we all sort of love that you can you can put your fortes forward. And mm-hmm. if I want to be a geek and write a geeky episode about, you know, a guy playing geeky video games, you, you can do that. And if you want to mm-hmm. have a hard-boiled episode that, you know, the, the, the show can, it can just sort of morph into so many things. And I guess that's what, it, it just keeps the show exciting. That If you want to try on something else, you, you, you know that you can always do that. You guys are doing it well. That, that was leading on to my next question, but from a viewer standpoint, you would swear that every episode was written by the same writer. Ah, that's, it's incredibly flattering. And maybe that's just sort of a byproduct of having been stuffed into a room with each other for, for a year and a half. But being on a, on a writing staff is kind of a, a bizarre working environment just to be stuffed into a room for you know 10 hours a day with people who a year and a half ago were complete strangers and it's no small miracle when you can actually get along with those people and arrive at some sort of communal product in which everybody feels a bit of ownership and yeah it's pretty fantastic you can imagine all the ways it could go wrong but when it goes right it just it's pretty cool yeah now, you've co-written a lot of scripts. You re- uh-huh. wrote quite a few with John Enbaum and with yeah. other other co-writers as well. Yeah. And just looking at the credits of Chuck, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of co-writing going on. Is that true? I think co-writing is usually just done for expediency. When, you know, when we had a small staff, it was sort of you just had to get scripts out quickly and get people back in the room and, and breaking story. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some shows that, you know, I, I guess heroes used to, or maybe they still do break up scripts by, you know, actual characters and have people writing, you know, individual storylines. But it, I think it's much more common for people to have their own episodes. And the times we've done it on Chuck are, you know, the times where we just need to get caught up with production. Mm-hmm. Well, whatever you're doing, it's working. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a huge relief to, to make it to the end of a season and to have not succumbed to the beast that is production. You know, they're always breathing down your neck, and every stumble you have, you just count the days. And you know, once you're behind, you're always behind, and the material suffers, and the fact that we sort of, we've made it to the finish line is is is, is a huge relief. Mm-hmm. So who comes up with the original ideas for the episodes? Um, you know, I think in the two weeks that we sort of just brainstormed, we put together like we had a little pile of log lines that we wanted to, to, to come back to. And it, it's amazing how many of those became, you know, at least the kernels for the episodes, that the A stories that we did this season. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, there's nothing worse than just coming to the table and having no notion of what you want to do. You know, somebody had seen the, the King of Kong documentary over our strike slash hiatus. Mm-hmm. And just just having, you know, those three words, it's enough to sort of inspire a, a discussion about what we could do and what we'd like an episode to be. And I think something like four or five days later, we had broken the story for Chuck versus Tom Sawyer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it could have been three weeks of just staring at the walls yeah but just having like a tiny little foothold is really such a such an advantage that's great yeah so what what would you say a typical work day is for you mm, well i think it changes as, as the season goes along as a writer in the room working on somebody else's episode it's sort of you know, arriving at 10 o'clock and arguing about lunch for uh, anywhere from five minutes to two hours and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, spending the next six to uh, eight hours in the room. And it's really interesting because, you know, a lot of room time is BS time and funny anecdote time and just riffing on things that have nothing to do with story or Chuck. But 
you know. Charging your batteries. <laughs> yeah, and then once in a while you'll just happen upon some weird tangent that, you know, stokes the fire, and then you'll have days where you do nothing but work. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, you kind of have to be ready to come in the room and, you know, see where the day takes you. Yeah. You know, being with a, a bunch of people that you'd want to be stuck in a room with, like, even if it weren't your job, is is very, very helpful. Yeah. You still get time for tennis? I have time for tennis, but uh, my tennis partner is uh, he's running his own show now. So unfortunately, I've uh, I'm taking a bit of a tennis hiatus. John's running a show. Yeah, he um, he's got a show called Party Down that's going to be on Stars Network. Really, really good for him. Yeah, it's a show that he and Rob Thomas and Paul Rudd and Dan Etheridge came up with like three or four years ago, and mm-hmm. it just came out of nowhere, and he was able to go and write 10 episodes, and I think they're going to be shot within a month or something. So that's how quick t- uh, television works. That's great. Yeah. Now, just on the topic of Rob Thomas, I've, uh-huh. I've heard that he's still keeping the vision alive for a Veronica Mars movie. Is that true? I've heard that. It's It's been written about online. There was a little pitch that he put together that's on the season three DVD. Oh, man. But I'd heard even just recently that the idea was revived again. Wow. I hope Kristen Bell's involved. She's going to be on Lost. Oh, is she? Uh, this season. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Oh, man. Who's she going to be? No idea. <laughs> wow. That'd be cool. Yeah, I know he's, uh, you know, he's busy with Cupid now. And uh, I heard about a Veronica Mars comic book, but... Uh, features that's news to me i mean a video game i could get behind that oh yeah it's funny you know writing veronica mars you know a teen girl show all we did was play video games and now i'm on a show about guys who play video games and all we do is sit around and gossip like teenage girls so (laughs) (laughs) one of the things especially breaking news this week about all the stars that are going to be yeah i mean we've got chevy chase we've got scott bakla we've got Uh dominic monaghan how does it change your writing process when you have kind of a higher profile guest star well it's a little scary like it's sort of nice when you've written the script and then you start talking names mm-hmm. you know it's pretty intimidating to to have to consider writing for Chevy Chase because you start thinking of every Chevy Chase thing you've ever watched and how your writing can never sort of live up to Fletch but um you know knowing the sort of type of people you're going to go for is, is helpful just because you know uh, how much screen time and and sort of importance within the story you're going to you're going to give to those those roles. Mm-hmm. I mean, the nightmare scenario would be if, if you write like a minor role and then you hear, yeah, we want to go out to Kevin Klein with this. And then you have to go back <laughs> and sort of tweak, yeah. a, tweak a script. But fortunately, we we knew that the two guest roles for the episode that we're shooting now were going to be big. So, mm-hmm. Cool. And what are your other uh, favorite shows to watch right now? Um, I sort of went crazy for Mad Men. Mm-hmm. And I watched season two and then season one sort of fell off with Battlestar. I just saw the uh, the premiere of Lost last night, which I'm pretty psyched about. Mm-hmm. I actually missed it. I was talking to Norman Buckley, actually. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I don't know. What are you watching? Well, Chuck, of course. Yeah. Hero- Heroes, Terminator, Sarah Connor Chronicles. Uh-huh. I love that new Life on Mars. I haven't seen that yet. I want to I see that. And and The Mentalist is good, too. I, I'm, I don't generally go for the procedurals, but I think that's a really good one. Yeah. i got to do some fan questions. Yeah, of course. One fan question is, will we see Harry Tang again? Uh, I mean, if we had our way, we totally would. You know, that was just a booking conflict. I guess his role on Dexter took him away from us. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I should say that, that he was incredibly fun. And Tony, I, you know, Tony Hale, I love writing Tony Hale. I got to, you know, introduce him this season. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's so nice having a, a villain in the buy more. I, I oh, mean, yeah. The show really sort of needed that niche filled, and I think it's great. Oh, he's great. Yeah. We've heard that Chuck might be doing some spy training. Everybody's asking about that. Spy training. i got to be coy about answering that one. Yeah. I guess I could say, in a way, yes. I hope that's enigmatic enough. (laughs) Yeah, I know you have to be enigmatic with the spoilers. Josh Schwartz has teased that you guys are pulling out all the stops in the last half of the season, and, and in particular the uh, finale, is there anything you can tell us about where things will be going? I'm such a dummy. I'll wind up giving something terrible away that'll ruin the season for everyone. Um, <laughs> but we're we're certainly pulling out all the stops. I mean, we sort of broke episode 21, you know, the second to last, and we're just like, mm-hmm. oh my god, it's like that. 
it feels like a finale, and you know, <laughs> we still have another one to break. And when you want to keep a show on the air in this like weird time for television, unfortunately, you sort of have to push everything and everyone to an inch of breaking. And <laughs> the fact that our production has been able to keep up with our impossible expectations, it's pretty tremendous. Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, we all hope Chuck is renewed for a third season. But outside of that, do you have any other future plans? No, you know, you know, we finished season two last night, and I expect that uh, we'll all be around the table on Monday and, and talking about season three as as if it's going to be there. You know, I think that's kind of all we can do. Yeah. Well, that's it. That's just about all I've got. Thank you so much again. Yeah, it was nice meeting you, and um, hope to stay in touch with you. Great. Thanks so much. Okay. Bye bye. Right, bye bye. That was Phil Klemmer back in Season 2. Well, here is Phil Klemmer as I caught up with him in Season 5. Enjoy. This is Gray, and I'm here with Phil Klemmer, writer for Chuck. How you doing, Phil? I'm great, thanks. It's, it's great to have you on the podcast. And boy, I mean, you are no stranger to Chuck fans. You're no stranger to podcasts. I mean, first of all, you did a podcast for Veronica Mars. Or yep. at least a, a few of them. And then you were on the Chuck po- I think you've actually been on the Chuck podcast more than any other person. That's, uh, it's an honor. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, once in a while I will IMDB myself just when I'm feeling like I need some sort of reminder that I've accomplished um, something. And uh-huh. yeah, seeing the number of, of scripts, there is, uh, there is some satisfaction in just being like, wow. That, that's kind of kind of a lot of episodes. Well, you know, it was kind of neat. And and uh, the people listening to this podcast will have just heard the interview, the first in- interview you did with me back in season two. And, uh, and so we don't have to cover those same bases. But in that interview, I don't know if you remember, but no recollection. Uh, it was it was <laughs> early in season two. And, uh-huh. you, and you said, I believe that Chuck can go five seasons. Oh, um, geez, now it seems like a paltry number. But yeah, <laughs> at, at the time, that was meant to uh, be a, a vote of confidence. But yeah, you know, standing on the precipice of season five, it, it, it doesn't feel like it's lost its legs. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, apparently this is it. Yeah, wow. So, uh, so we'll, get, we'll get to post-Chuck right. in, in toward the end. But uh, how does it... Well, I, and we'll get to how it feels to be back as well. What I want to what want to get to is uh-huh. the dispersion that happened at the end of right. season three, and and I know mm-hmm. I I blogged about it a little bit. Um, it was a tough situation. Uh, yeah, you, you basically the shows were being picked up, and Chuck uh-huh. wasn't at that point, and and we saw a number of offers come in, and Ali Adler left, Scott Rosenbaum left. Uh, Matt Miller left and Zev Burrow left. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so what were you thinking at the time? It, it, and this is not uncommon to what happened to you with Veronica Mars as well. Yeah. I mean, I think that for me, that kind of feels like business as usual, but in reality, shows are either alive or dead. And somehow I've managed to pick the zombie shows that are neither, um, that sort of persist after they, like, people have said they were deep in the ground. And, yeah, that was a really, really hard time because, you know, as long as you're under contract, you can sort of take comfort in the back, like, ah, oh, there's nothing I can do about it. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody wants to offer me a job, they have to understand that, like, should Chuck come back, I'm I'm protected. But, you know, the, the magical three-year mark is when, as writers, your contracts are are gone, and then you're sort of without that. Um, mm. You're without that obligation, and you're sort of thrown into the the fray. And I think that it's wonderful that Chuck is is such a shining, respected credit that those of us who were tossed into the fray like found these amazing jobs. Mm. Um, because you know, I think it's it's worth a lot to have worked on the show. But the problem with that is that. You know, we all sort of went to the four winds and yeah, it was, it was, it was a sad time. And then, you know, sort of found out that Chuck was coming back once we'd all landed elsewhere. And then that's another kind of, you know, then you realize that the show's going to go on without you. It was, it was really weird. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's really weird for me because, um, I only moved about like a hundred yards across the lot. Oh my. So it wasn't like I just left. It was like, 
it's like I, you know, I, I left my wife for like the woman across the street. So it was a very like conflicted time because I felt like, uh, you know, a turncoat who just like, you know, walked across the street to, to undercovers. And, um, I think it was ultimately good to have taken a break from Chuck though. I think it made last year and, you know, the 13 episodes this year, I think it was nice to have a bit of perspective, mm-hmm. um, thanks to the break. Well, it, it worked out. Uh, quite ironically in that uh i mean first of all you you were brought on a show that uh that had a married spy couple so you you probably were on the show that was closest in some ways to to chuck but yeah and on the same network <laughs> yeah but undercovers died early no ordinary family didn't get renewed right. um and the show that matt miller went to human target and that there, didn't get yeah. renewed and uh and then um scott rosenbaum's v <laughs> didn't get renewed yeah. and so Everybody that went on to different shows, um, all of a sudden they they were out of luck, and then Chuck kept on ticking. But you yeah. had an opportunity opportunity to to come back. Tell me a little bit about actually maybe wind wind back a little mm-hmm. bit when sure. you went on Undercovers and it wasn't yeah. doing well. What right. what was happening there, and, and what were you thinking? Well, I mean, it wasn't clear that it wasn't doing well until we were, you know, deep deep into our you know run of thirteen episodes because. You know, we started the room very early because it was a, you know, super high profile show. And, um, you know, we had these massive shoots that were mostly, you know, outside the lot. You know, there, there was a lot of money and a lot of production going into it. So we had broken more than half of our stories by the time we even premiered. So it wasn't apparent that it was a failing show until, I mean, thank God, because once it becomes apparent, it's really, really hard to continue because you've, sort of invested everything you had and um you know on, on that show I, I think we were all imagining that it that it would be a version of an NBC hit and uh you know we we're all really proud of it and then you know it's almost like television has become like feature films where mm-hmm. you get that sort of monday box office and you sort of know the whole life course of of the film you know you know whether it's a hit or a flop yeah and yeah, and television sort of turned into that. Like, I mean, it was the night before Undercover's premiere and we got the NBC sort of estimates for our number and we're just like, oh God. Oh no. Like, we're dead. Yeah. Like, because shows don't stick around like long enough to sort of, you know. Find their legs. Right. Live a second life. So once that had happened, it was pretty, it was pretty damn glum because we all liked the show and we liked each other. And that was a sensation I've never had, like being on like, a show that's like, you, you know, I have have this like ridiculous, unfounded sort of optimism like that you can only get from having been on Veronica Mars and Chuck, where mm. you're like, it'll be fine, we'll get picked up, like, <laughs> we'll, you know, yeah. and this is like, that was the one time where it's like, no, seriously, this is, this is happening, and uh, I guess it's incredible that I've only had that happen, really happen once because, uh, you know, I had already taken the job on Chuck by the time bad news about Veronica Mars came in. So mm-hmm. I've, I've always sort of had a foot planted somewhere. Mm. Um, so, so but, this time when it yeah. happened, you were just a hundred yards away. Yep. Um, and so, but tell me about how that happened. And, and I remember how excited we were. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. La- it was last uh, holiday episode of yeah. the podcast that we announced it. Um, yeah. And how did that happen? They, they, they got you back? Because, I mean, yeah. that, that's strange to me because once you're staffed, you're staffed, I thought. Yeah. Well, I mean, it helped that it was all happening within Warner Brothers and it helped that I was coming back to show that I had already been on. And, yeah, I, I totally remember, like, where I was when I got the call that Chuck was looking for writers. I was, like, on set of Undercovers. Wow. And I just remember thinking, like, I'm not ready to be, like, alone in my home office. I was uh-huh. like, I, I really need to continue moving and I, I don't want to sit around and, and I mean, it was, it was literally like I had left under covers and I went and had Thanksgiving and I came back and I sat down at the Chuck table and wow. it was totally like the right mental health move where I could just <laughs> be like, you know, I mean, the first week was really surreal because it was like, did, did I ever leave? And like, <laughs> These, it's, you know. Yeah. But quickly, you know, the new bunch of people, it it felt like, uh, you know, it felt like this had always been the Chuck show. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. 
Well, I have a, a question all the way from yeah. Australia. Um, okay. Kevin from Australia says, uh -huh. what were the biggest changes you found coming back to the writer's room and what changes made you most excited? Well, I mean, the changes, I mean, the most changes were just people are, are, are fresh and, yeah. you know, the, the show was new to, to everyone. And so I feel like the thing about like a writer's room is, is at least I like, I sort of take my energy from the people around me mm -hmm. and if everybody's beleaguered and beat down, that's how I feel. And if everybody's like energetic and charged about breaking story, that's how I feel. I guess I'm, I'm a chameleon that way. And so it was awesome coming onto a show where it's not like people ever got bored of these characters. I mean, I, I feel like it's as fun to write this show as it was, you know, episode 105, you know, the first one I ever did. Mm -hmm. But you do get this like cumulative fatigue that you feel like, like every season you sort of come back like a little more tired or you hit like that point of exhaustion sooner. By season three, we were all pretty tired. And we only did, whatever, 16 episodes, right? Mm -hmm. um, so the fact that we did 24 the year after, I mean, I feel like that would would have killed the original gang. But, like, having the, the fresh blood, it just, there was this sort of, like, just, like, irrepressible energy to the room. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you get to meet, like, you get to make new friends and, like, totally have, like, you know, I would, I would follow this bunch anywhere. Yeah. Uh, on any show. Oh yeah, I mean Chris, Christian yeah. Newman, Craig DeGore, yeah, uh, yeah uh, DeGorio, yeah. and and uh, of course Rafe and Lauren, you knew from uh -huh. from se season three, but uh, yep, yeah, and then you know one of my fellow writers came over, Alex Katz Nelson mm -hmm. came over from Undercover, so I mean there was like there was a strange continuity to it, you know I I my my big like business idea now is that like writers should actually just syndicate themselves <laughs> and, and like staff at, you know, staff en masse. Yeah. So that, you know, instead of trying to take these collections of people that might or might not work, that you could actually just, like, hire an intact staff. Room because, for hire. Yeah, because it would be so much, I mean, there's so many disasters out there of yeah. great people and great writers who just cannot work together. And it's sort of a miracle when it, when it works out. Hmm. So, if anybody wants to help me how to figure out how to market that um, <laughs> yeah. i'm sure yeah i'm sure the agents will find a way to stop it yeah well uh, <laughs> craig and Kristen are writing a, a pilot together yep. um mm -hmm. who knows maybe uh, maybe there, some of the gang will go together yeah i think that's the only way you can sort of survive in your middle to late career is just relying on the uh whatever the mercy of the friends you've accumulated in the first half yeah <laughs> and and then Chuck gets picked up for season five, and yeah. it's a shorter season, thirteen episodes. Uh -huh. um, and this time, I and I, I remember actually in in our interview back in, we did another interview in season three, and mm -hmm. you thought you were only getting thirteen episodes then, right? Um, oh, but, so it was nineteen. Sorry, yeah, it ended up being yeah. nineteen. Yeah, but it that, that was when you already had written like thoroughly written to episode 13 and then had yeah. to tack six on after that, which uh, mm -hmm. is difficult this time. It's really difficult. Yeah. Yeah. This time you've got 13 and you know, you have 13 and that's it. How does that feel? More episodes would be, it would be staggering to imagine having to sort of start up all the machinery again. Mm -hmm. um, just because it's like, it's like running when you pace yourself and you know how far you're going to go. The last thing you want is somebody at the finish line to say like, do another two miles. <laughs> um, but the greatest thing on earth would be, you know, when you're on Lost and they're like, yeah, you're picked up for, for three more seasons of 16 apiece. Wow. I mean, when you have the security and the sort of reduced episode load, so that, you know, I mean, if, if they were like, you know, Chuck is really pulling a great number, season six, I would be <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that is perfect. That, yeah. that would be, you know, the show going away is obviously something that we, we all mourn. But the idea of doing additional episodes would be something that would, obviously it's better than the show going off the air, but it would be really daunting. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, if there's any way they could pick us up for uh, three more seasons of 16, <laughs> um, <clears throat> I don't know <laughs> what that would take. Yeah, but you can't end with it all being um, everybody in purgatory or heaven. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, uh, 
Charlie from Illinois asks a question that I'm uh-huh. sure on everybody's minds, and that's, what's the mood like on set these days since the end is fast approaching? Because really, production ends in November, doesn't it? I'll, uh, I can look at a schedule right now. It ends 11... Oh, no. It ends 12-7-11. Um, 12-7, wow. Yeah, I, you know, I think the mood is, is really good mm-hmm. because, you know, people on the crew work harder than anybody in the entire operation. Mm-hmm. They work longer and it's more stressful and especially our, our, our cast. I mean, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure they're all running on adrenaline now, just knowing that, that, that they aren't going to have to go into the new year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm pulling 14 hour days, but I don't think the sort of bittersweetness has really kicked in yet. But I'm sure it will any day that yeah. when you start realizing like, oh, this is the last scene I'll have with this person mm. or this is the last time we'll be in this, you know, stage look, you know, I'm sure that's going to be really, really difficult. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure even on Undercovers, when we'd only done 13 episodes, when when they film that last scene, it is so damn eerie oh, when yeah. you're just like, all right, and this is the last someone will ever speak a word and this is the last frame of film wow. um, and I, I can't imagine what that's going to feel like with five years behind it mm. but right now i think everybody's probably doing their best to uh pretend that that day's not going to happen mm. well i i know i mean we've only seen one episode so far this season but it, it yeah. does seem like there is I mean, there's such a, a chemistry, a, a long fought for chemistry between the characters. And, but mm-hmm. also there, it just, it seems like there's a bit of a release. Like it seems yeah. like the, the actors are just kind of having fun mm-hmm. on, I, on screen. Like it, it, like yeah. it just looks like they're, they're so much more comfortable maybe now that they, they know that this is it. So what do they have to lose? Yeah. I think, I think you're totally picking up on something. And like, I don't know. It was, it's not like, as writers were working any harder this year, I mean, you sort of always try to break the best stories you can. Mm-hmm. But the, you know, there was something was sort of happening, like in the in the you know first half, like you know maybe just a few episodes in the season, where we all just start, started to realize that the episodes were coming in really good. Mm. <clears throat> and you know, you get good episodes or episodes that you you like more than others. But it was sort of like we definitely had this run where it was like two, three, four, five, six, like all these, you know, and the great premiere episode of this season as well. Like, we were just like, they're all coming in good. Yeah. And none of them are needing, like, emergency measures in post-production. And we're not reshooting scenes. And we're not, you know, creating Frankenstein episodes. And, you know, we're, we're it, it, they were just, you know, we're not coming in with things that are, like, hugely over or, you know, hugely under. It, I think, you know, people just get really good at doing their jobs, and the sort yeah. of cumulative effect of that is like you can do more with less. And you know, even though we have less time and less money and less energy, all the episodes were sort of like working, and it, that's pretty cool that <laughs> you, you, that we all learned how to do this a little better. Hmm. And uh, you know, I hope that people watching the show feel that sort of quality, but I think it's true. Yeah. Well, I know we have to wrap up shortly, but um, tell me, do you have any plans for afterward? Well, I'm going to go to New Zealand. Wow. So uh, that's, you know, that's a plan. Yeah. And uh, presumably I'll come back, but, you know, who knows? I'm going to take, uh, take a little time and, you know, see what's happening in the in the springtime. And, you know, until then I'll work on a pilot of my own and catch up on all the television I've been missing by by writing it (laughs) cool and (laughs) and and just before i leave you do you have any breaking in tips for new writers let me see my tips would be if you say you're a writer you should actually write because i did that for a long time i just called myself a writer which doesn't quite work Hmm. you know you should try to get a job as a writer's assistant i know it sounds like impossible but like being in a writer's room being anywhere close to the writer's room is the quickest way to sort of land yourself a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think just like getting those early episodes out of the way by just writing a couple specs based on other people's shows, 
so that you can eventually write your own. You know, just don't be uptight about it. It's only television. You know, that's, <laughs> that's what I would say that, like, I mean, the best thing about having a job in TV is just it forces you to write all the time. And that, you know, I used to really stress out about every letter that I typed on a keyboard. And there's something zen about, like, letting go and letting the words flow and getting better at it just by whatever your 10,000 hours. Hmm. I'm not, I'm probably not there yet, but I'm trying to do my best. Very cool. Well, I, I really appreciate you taking this time and, and, oh, hey, did uh, Craig and his wife have the baby? Yes, they did have the baby. Uh, very cool. Um, which is why he's probably too tired to do this podcast. Mm. But, uh, yes, he's got a baby. It's, uh, Cleo Antonia Di Gregorio. Mm. Um, and, uh, yes, she's Italian. <laughs> um, very cool. But yes, a beautiful, healthy little girl. Very, very cool. Well, yeah. thanks for taking the time and uh, sure. best of luck to you. And hopefully, we'll hear of great things in the future from Mr. Phil Clemmer. Great. Great talking with you. Thanks. Cool. Okay. Thanks, Phil. And that's the podcast for today. I want to remind you that you can go to tvwriterpodcast.com for all of the back episodes of the podcast, or you can also go to blip tv slash tv writer podcast and as well i encourage you to follow me on twitter for the latest updates at gray jones is my handle right now as i promised i'm going to leave you with an, a little longer video demonstrating red giants products um, the effects plugins for all of the major software that you might work with to do your web series or independent short film enjoy
Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web. And by Final Draft Script Writing Software, the entertainment industry standard for script writing worldwide. <laughs> <laughs>